I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue our study on the church of Jesus Christ, uh, the fellowship of the church of Jesus. We are talking particularly right now as meeting with the church. How do we meet with the church? And what I want to get into today is the principles of the meeting. The principles of the meetings, the things we should expect, the faith that we are supposed to have. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us today to understand your word, Father, and to be able to grasp the incredible privilege that you've given us to be saved, to be born again, and to be brought into the church of Jesus Christ and to belong to your body. And I pray, Father, that you would anoint us today and stir us today in our faith, God, to be able to see everything that you've wanted. And to believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live unto that. And you can be pleased and glorified in the earth today. And I ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Ephesians 4, I want to start in verse 1. And it says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And that's, that vocation means the lifestyle that you've been called to. And so, as I brought out to you last week, we know that it is the Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of his word. That Paul was just a vessel that the Holy Spirit was moving upon when he penned these words. And it's a sobering thing for me as a Christian, as a born-again believer, to imagine that the Holy Spirit is on his knees begging me to do something. First of all, that he would have to do that um, is... It would it would tend for me to to bring me great humility. It humbles me, but it also frightens me that the Holy Spirit knows us, and He knows what's going to happen in the church through the centuries and towards the end. As a matter of fact, one of the great tragedies of the end times church is that it doesn't even have the power of God. It has just been able to attain to a form of godliness in 2 Timothy 3. But there's no power of God in the church. The Holy Spirit knows that. And Jesus said that the love of many is going to wax cold in the end times. And so the hearts of men, the hearts of the church, the hearts of born-again people are going to tend to become hardened and cold and calloused towards one another and towards God. And that we're going to be more interested in just kind of having our Christianity. But don't affect me as a to become a fanatical or a radical Christian. Um, I, I don't want that in my life. Just, just kind of having the tag of a Christian on my life will be enough. But I don't want the power of God in my life and things of that nature. And so... In Ephesians 4.1, if, if you could imagine this, because this is the stress of the scripture that the Holy Spirit is down on his knees and he's begging you. He's begging you to live worthy of what you've been called to, to live worthy to that. And I, I believe that one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is in this posture, if you will, is found in verse 2. We're supposed to live in all lowliness, which is humility and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, because we're going to oftentimes offend each other, um, overlook each other, sometimes intentionally, 
but not all the time intentionally. It's just going to happen. You offend yourself every day. So you put people in the mix. We're going to offend each other. And so we have to put up with each other. We have to bear that and not allow division and strife to come in because somebody hurt my feelings or somebody upset me or even somebody gossiped about me or slandered me. I have to get over that. I have to be Christ-like, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I believe this is why the Holy Spirit is in this posture. For there is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. And and it's really the simplicity is this, that the Holy Spirit is in this posture begging us because the Holy Spirit is declaring to us in this verse, there's one body and one spirit. The Holy Spirit is saying to us, you're the only church that I've got. You're the only body that I have. I don't have anyone else to operate in or work through other than you. You're, you're it. You As a born-again believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not living in the White House in Washington, D.C. He's not operating through American politics, if you know. The Holy Spirit operates all over the world, however he wills. But you, the body of Christ, are specifically the temple of the Holy Spirit that he's going to move powerfully through in the earth to demonstrate Jesus and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has joined himself with us. And so that's why he says in verse 1, Therefore, that we live worthy of this calling that we have been called to. And, and chapter 3 tells us what that is. He says in verse 10 of chapter 3, To the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church. And without the church... It's not going to be known without you as a born again believer walking worthy of the calling you've been called to God that we love is not going to be able to demonstrate his wisdom in that generation in the earth. And and I just believe this means something to us. I, I really do. And so this is very important. And he goes to. This this other bookend, if you will, he opens it in chapter 4, verse 1, telling us how we need to live worthy. And then he closes it, this bookend, in the end of chapter 4. And he goes into chapter 5 in regards to it. And he just says in verse 29, let no corrupt communication, worthless talk proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying... That it may minister grace to the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And that's, that's the key factor, that we don't grieve Him. That, that, that I don't allow myself to react or to respond or to live in a particular way that's grieving or hindering the Holy Spirit from moving. And so it's, it's not only me being tempted to do bad things to people. Or me being tempted to gossip about people. Or me being tempted to speak things that are not going to profit the body. Which I would be tempted to do. But it's also me being tempted to behave in a particular way. Because I feel like I've been mistreated by the church. And, and therefore I grieve the Holy Spirit. I limit him in me. 
I don't want to do that. Now, I'm tempted to do things like that, and I've failed in doing things like that, where, thank God, we get to repent, right? And, And remove the clutter that would hinder that water of the Holy Spirit. And so we're supposed to let all bitterness, verse 31, and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking to be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And be you therefore followers of God as dear children, walk in love. And we're supposed to walk in the love that Christ has loved us with and has given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So that's how we're supposed to walk with each other. I'm supposed to walk with you in the same kind of love that Jesus walked with us. And that love is described as a, an offering and sacrifice to God. And, and so if, if I'm not living that way, then I'm kind of living in a mentality of, of justice, you know. I'm kind of living in a men- mentality of just right and wrong. And, you know, if, if you strike me, I'm going to strike you back. Or, you know, if you don't talk to me, I'm not going to talk to you. If you're rude to me, I'm going to be rude to you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, you know, no, Jesus changed that with the new covenant. He changed that. It's no longer an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but turn the other cheek. We're supposed to walk with each other in love the way Jesus has shown his love for us. And the last time I read the Bible, I, I don't see where Jesus died on the cross for those that loved him. But it says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He wasn't dying for good people, but bad people. And he wasn't dying for people that were all surrounding his cross saying, oh, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Nobody was saying that. They were cursing him and spitting on him and blaspheming him. And yet he's still dying in love for them. And when the church, by the power of God's spirit, can live that way, then the whole world will know that Jesus is God. That kind of love. That, that kind. So I, I, I want to I say, before we go further into this, that this type of living is absolutely Number one, impossible, apart from the life of God. I'm I'm not asking you to do anything because you can't do anything to do this, but believe God. And have the humility, be humble enough to be able to say to God, I can't love like Jesus, so please give me the spirit of Jesus in my life to do this. And I I can't show mercy to people that have not been merciful to me. I I just can't, even though I've been shown mercy, I can't do that. I'm going to respond unfavorably. So God help me. I'm the problem here. And, and that's that, that humility that comes to us is, it's just not humanly possible. We, We have to have the grace of God to do it. And you have to have a particular kind of discipleship. All right. And so I, I want to, I, I just very quickly, I want you to go to Luke 14 to the words of Jesus in regards to the call that he was making. We're supposed to live worthy of this calling that we've been called to. Well, here it is. Now, this is, this is going to be rough, okay? So just put your seatbelt on. This is not, this, the, you know, this is not the thing that, you know, just draws thousands of people says, hey, I want to hear that again, you know? This is not it, but this is the call of Jesus. This is, this is it. This is tough. I'll just admit to you, this is tough. 
And so he says in in Luke 14, verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, And his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And I'll be honest with you. There's not a lot of disciples living this. There's not. And he goes on and says. Whosoever. Does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. We live in the age that Paul warned us about the form of godliness, but no power. Now, we can argue, we can get, well, hate doesn't mean hate. All right. I I would agree that this word hate does not mean the word hate as we understand hate. But it does mean that we love Jesus supremely. Now, this is important. For Jesus Christ to make a, a claim like this. Would be absolute idolatry if he's not God. But if he's God, then he could make no less of a claim. So is he God to you? Because if we were to look back over the decades of American history and the church in American history, we would have to quickly come to the realization of how much we choose family, wife, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters over God. It's very true. And, and family is not the strength of the church. It's not. Strong families do not necessarily equate a strong church. I would love to see the scripture for that. But actually, Jesus said that your enemies are going to be those of your own family. A mother set against her daughter. A daughter-in-law set against her mother-in-law. That's where some of the greatest conflict is going to occur. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to really follow me. I have to be the supreme love and affection of your life. And so those of us that are kind of sitting there like, look, I told you, put your seatbelt on. That's hard. That's tough. I get it. It's tough. It's tough for me. But all I have to do is open my eyes up and see that over the last many decades or, or 100 years of American Christianity, And look at the streets of America and look at the society of America and look at the collapse of the family in America. And I'm not simply saying that your marriage is destroyed or you're not married. I'm talking about our posterity. 
Look at our generation. Look at our society. And this didn't happen overnight. It was back in the 60s, back in the 50s, back in the 40s. All of this was beginning to occur. The deterioration of the family, the deterioration of the home, the deterioration of society and morality and everything. Why? Because we've got multitudes of people professing Christianity but are not really making this serious decision about discipleship. And because we're not really making this serious decision about discipleship, then when we come to a passage like Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, and the Holy Spirit is on his knees saying, I beg you, you're the only church I've got. I beg you, live worthy of this calling, because if I'm going to demonstrate my wisdom to this generation i cannot do it apart from my church i beg you walk worthy of this and book ends it with chapter five and says now do this like children because it's not a thing of imitation it's a thing of nature as dear children of god because you're born again you're born again and and really what we should do is return that to the holy spirit and get on our knees before him And say, yes, yes, would you help me? Would you do this? I surrender to your will and your desire. Keep my heart tender. Keep my heart kind. Keep my love on fire. Keep me pure. I say yes to you. That, That should be our response to him. And I believe it is the response of people who are born again. I really do. I, th- I think that is their response. I, I, every one of you that's born again in this room right now, you're already bowing in your heart and your spirit to God. To say yes to him. You know, he's not telling us these things to feel defeated. He's not showing these things for us to feel condemned. He's simply showing that this is the requirement of discipleship. And I want you to be my disciples, but I'm not going to play a game with you. And I have an incredible agenda in the earth. And I want you to join me in it. And I'm going to give you all the grace and all of the power to do it. So when you fail and you recognize that you're not living up to the calling that you've been called to. Don't disappear. Don't withdraw. Don't hide in shame. Don't suffer condemnation. Come to me and receive my grace. And let's start now. Let's start. Isn't that wonderful of God? Let's start now. That's what he wants to do in our life. So in in the principles of the meeting that I want to come to tonight, today, and just begin to get into this, um, is I would say first and foremost, the principle of the meeting is that we meet in the Lord's name. We meet in the name of Jesus. And, And that just simply means Jesus has the preeminence of everything. He has the preeminence in the conversation. He has the preeminence in the worship. Everything is under the Lord's authority. He's the center of everything. Everyone is to be drawn to him and drawn around him. The songs are for him. The prayers are to him. Everything is for him. It's his house and we come to be edified and strengthened by him. We're to leave our past temperaments behind because we're gathering in the name of Jesus. We're not gathering in our name. We're not gathering in the name of Baptist. We're not gathering in the name of Methodist or the name of Pentecostals or the name of non-denominationals. We're not gathering. We're gathering in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And so this is all for him. It's to characterize him in everything that is, that is going on. And so when we bring our natural bent or our natural things or our natural traditions or our natural religions that we grew up in, and we allow these things to form the basis of who we are and how we worship and how we respond to God, we could miss what God truly wants. So it's all for Jesus, and we come trusting in the Holy Spirit, and we come grounded and rooted in the Word of God. And, and Jesus Christ is to receive his glory. And then we come, we gather in the name, and then we come with a specific goal. All right? So, so th- this is it. We, the principles of the meeting is we come together for a, a purpose, a goal. Now, you have to have this goal because if you don't, then you're just, you're just coming. You're just you just attend church. I, I, you know, where do you go to church? Well, I, I, I go to this church here or I go to that church there. And this is where I attend. My name's on a membership roll. And that, okay, but that's not church in God's mind. Okay, so church in God's mind is, is that I am a very important part of what goes on for the glory of God. Because I'm a part of the body, and therefore I want to come to church. I want to come into that meeting with a specific purpose. And Peter tells us what it is. In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is one of the principles of meeting. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says in verse 4, he says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, this is us coming to Jesus. Jesus was disallowed indeed of men. But he's chosen of God and he's precious. And verse 5 of 1 Peter 2, he says, You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, so the principle of meeting is this I'm not an attender. And if I wasn't a pastor, I still would not be an attender. I'm a minister. So are you. If you're born again, you're a minister. You have to come to church. You have to come to the meeting of the body of Christ with this goal in mind that I am a priest. You don't come and look for a seat. You come and look for opportunities to serve God and serve man. You come with the privilege of being able to give sacrifices to God. You come and you serve that body and you minister to that body and you serve the Lord and you minister to the Lord. And I, and I must come with that specific purpose in mind. I don't come and say, oh, I hope the worship team sings the songs that I like. Or I hope Pastor Lee doesn't preach too long and we can get out early and go, you know, eat dinner and, you know, watch the saints play or whatever. You know, it's not, no, I want to come and I want to minister and I want to serve the Lord. And so this is what Peter says. And then he goes on to talk about what these sacrifices are. Okay, it's and, and I don't want you to think our sacrifices are singing songs. And so he says this as we go into this as a priesthood. Verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Pause. Pause. 
If, a, if an unbeliever, if an unbeliever sat next to you today, when we were singing this glorious song to the Lamb of God, and an unbeliever was sitting next to you today, would they have thought you to be any different from them? I'm talking about if somebody is still lost in darkness and they sat by you or behind you and their participation in the singing was not much different than your participation in the singing, then how did we today fulfill priesthood? Read it. What does it say? Verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. For what purpose? You should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness. So if I'm in a, the context of a gathering... And I'm a priest to God. And there is an opportunity to do ministry to God. I want to do it in such a way that I make lost people take notice. There's something different about me than what they're doing. That I want to show the praises of him who took me out of the darkness of where you are. So that not only I can be a priest to God, but somehow I can minister to you to to whet your appetite to be able to see there is a whole nother life that I could be living. And if God did it for you, he could do it for me. And when church just gets to this thing that we're just all mechanical and you can't pick out the lost from the saved because everybody's kind of just in the same type of posture. And the only hope that we have, the only thing that we're reckoning upon in our churches in America is that some preacher's going to get into a pulpit and speak this clever phrase that's going to bring revival to America. And beloved, it's not going to happen. It is, it is when all of the body of Christ understands I am a priest of God and I am supposed to show his praise who took me out of darkness. That's what happened at Asbury this past year. A group of students were showing the praise of God. That's what happened at Auburn University not long ago. When a group of students were showing the praise of God. They were different than the rest of the college students. And as a result of that. Thousands of people got baptized in the name of Jesus. Because they wanted to come to this light. That was so beautiful. But we hope. Man, maybe that preacher, I'm going I'm to bring a friend to church today and man, I'm just going to, man, I love Pastor Lee or Pastor Felix or Pastor Andrew and man, I'm just going to believe they're going to speak this word today. And that's what our faith has come to in America. When God is saying, 
No, you're my priest. And I could move through any one of you. Nobody's better than another. And, and they're not great because they're on a stage. But it's, it's, it's those that are willing to show my praise. Show it. So that cuts at the grain of the religious who said, well, you're just showing off. You're just trying to be seen. You better believe it. Absolutely. Where do, where do we get this that we're not supposed to be seen? Praising God. And showing, showing the worthiness of God. So I, I know that those of you that are born again, this matters to you. And, and so this is the principle of meeting. You should come into the gathering, into a prayer meeting. Let's say it's not this. Let's say it's a small group prayer meeting. And what do you want to do? I want to offer sacrifices to God. I want to show the praise of God who's called me out of darkness. And I want to minister to men. And so if it's, if it's through two, three, four, five people in my little prayer group or my little Bible study group, I want to enhance that meeting. I, I, I want my presence there to, to really help the Holy Spirit or be a means by which the Holy Spirit can really bring life and light and joy into that service. That's what I really desire. And I look to do that. I look to do it. And the particular gifts that you have are going to help that. It's, it's not what you can do necessarily. It's just the gifts that you have are going to do that. And so he says this, that we are to pray, show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We used to not be a people of God, but now we are. And there was a time we didn't obtain mercy, but now, we've ha- now we have and there, there's another little passage in Hebrews 13 that kind of talks about this. It's just a couple of pages backwards in your Bible. And he says this. Um, he says in Hebrews 13, 12, he says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him... Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And do good and communicate. Don't forget to do that. With these sacrifices, God is well pleased. Can, can we put this together? Because I just think this is wonderful. This is not saying, hey, if you really want to be a good priest, then... You've you got to make all of these incredible sacrifices in your life. Get, get to this place of such stoicism, you know. And then, and then you've got to go and you've got to get a PhD and you've got to get a master's in theology. And you've got to do all of this. And you've got to win at least uh, uh, 50 people a, a week to Jesus Christ. If you really want to be a good priest for me. No. That's not what he's saying. Do you know what the sacrifices are that please me, God says? That Peter says, hey, you're a priest. And you're supposed to offer sacrifices. You're supposed to show the praise of God. Well, he tells us what they are in Hebrews 13. And the, and, and the sacrifices of God, he says in verse 15, is the fruit of my lips. Just speaking things to God. Just doing that. Just speaking things to God. I can sing songs with the worship team and not really be praising God. Just singing songs. 
But when my, my heart and my spirit and my faith is that, God, I want to speak, I want to exalt you. I want to lift up the name of Jesus. I want to declare you. And I just, now this is for God. Maybe people hear me, maybe they don't, but it's not for them. It's for God. And so I'm speaking this to God. It is the fruit of our lips. Okay, so, so what do I say to God? Well, praise God, he answers it. Thank him. Thank him. Well, there you go. Now, what person in this room could say that I have nothing to thank God for? And so what do you do? You do something that lost people cannot do. By your relationship with God through the new birth, you are in the light of God now. You have received mercy from God. You are now the people of God. And you get to posture yourself in such a way that I am able, from the fruit of my lips, to declare things about God and who he is in a fashion that is giving thanks to him. And people are going to hear me thanking God. And perhaps it's going to cause somebody to turn their heart to Jesus. Might not even be anything the preacher said. It just could be the result of somebody in darkness sitting by somebody in light. And the light shone upon them that day. It's beautiful. And then he goes on and he says this. I also get to do good. I can do good. I can give. This is giving. Communicate means to give. I can, I can communicate good things. And with these sacrifices, God is well pleased, right? That's verse 16 of Hebrews 13. With these sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, that's not hard. We could go teach that to fireplace today. And we could go in there and say, hey, kids, do you know what God wants today? God wants you to show his praise by opening your mouth and declaring thanksgiving to God. And then he wants you to give good things to the people that are around you. Do something good for somebody. Do you think they'd get it? I do. I think they'd get it. Do you get it? Do you get it today? Will you get it tomorrow? Wednesday night when you come back to church. Will you get it? Will you, will you get in your car? I'm going to church. And Carly, you can come up. And I'm going to church. And I'm coming with the mindset when I'm riding in the car. Praise God. I'm a priest of the Lord. I get to meet with Christians today. Maybe, oh God, please, there'll be some lost people there today. And Lord, let the lost people see how great our God is. Because we used to be dead. Now we're alive. We were in darkness. Now we're in light. We didn't have mercy. Now we've got mercy. And Lord, let lost people just see how happy we are. You're our God. And Lord, just let us give thanks to you. I'm going to go in that room tonight. And you're getting out of your car on a Wednesday night. And I'm walking in that door. And I, man, my mind, my faith is charged. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going into that room. And I'm going to open my mouth. And I'm going to give thanks to God. And I'm going to be aware of the people that are around me. And I'm going to help. I'm going to do good things in people's lives today. I'm just maybe go encourage somebody. and say, You look really good today. I'm so glad to see you. I am so thankful that 
you're here. Or maybe there'll be an opportunity to give a special offering or a special gift for a family in Israel or uh, maybe a particular family in our own church that needs a benevolence offering. He says, I want to do, I want to give. I, I don't have a lot, but I've got 50 cents today to give. And I, I want to give that. And God's looking upon that. And God says, I am well pleased. I'm well pleased. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? He put it within the reach of the smallest child to the most financially unstable person that's living on a budget they cannot stretch at all. And God says, you can be my priest. Well, I'm not educated. I don't know how to read. I I, I don't know the Bible very well. I can't memorize scripture. No problem. Anything you want to thank me for? And maybe you can't read. Maybe you can't see. Maybe you're not very learned. Maybe you don't know the Bible very well. Yes, Lord, I, I have things I can thank you for. God says, I'm pleased with that. Can you do something for somebody? Can you help somebody to their car? Can you, can you encourage a little child? Can you, can you maybe pray for somebody that you know is going through a need in, in your congregation? Yeah, I, I can do that. Well, I'm embarrassed though, God. I'm, I'm kind of shy and my prayers are not always that, that great and people may make fun of me. God says, don't worry about people. It's pleasing to me. It's a sacrifice that I receive. And imagine the transformation of our churches and our community and our generation. If people could see discipleship like that, followers of Jesus like that. And so, as I said a moment ago, the Holy Spirit's on his knees begging you, begging me. Live worthy of this calling. I don't have another church. Your generation's being lost. 60% of your Christian marriages are ending in divorce. Your children are on drugs or addicted to pornography. If you want this to turn around, love me supremely. Follow me. Follow me. And live worthy of this calling. And I will have a a, a church to move through. And I will show your generation Jesus. And I'll bring young people back to me. And I'll heal marriages. And I'll heal families. And I'll restore your life. And I'll restore your joy. And you won't have to take drugs anymore. I'll be your peace. I'll be your hope. I'll be your salvation. I'll do it all. And our response, a posture right back to the Holy Spirit on my knees. You are worthy. You are worthy. I don't have the strength. I don't have the discipline. I don't have the faithfulness to make that kind of commitment that Jesus is asking can't do it 
I will not love you more than I love myself. But I agree with you. And I surrender myself to you. And I depend desperately upon your grace to give me that heart and to give me that life. I need you to take over. And he does. And every life that lived this kind of discipleship, you have found the greatest, most joyful people that ever lived on this planet. to Jesus. I pray that would be your posture right now, Father, in Jesus' name. We humble ourselves before you, as your word says, and we recognize that you are worthy. You privileged us to make us priest to you. We desire to be priest for you. We desire to bring to you sacrifices of praise that show, that reveal that we're no longer in darkness. We're no longer people without mercy. We want to give you the fruit of our lips. We want to thank you. We want to do good to people. We want to give. How blessed we are to be in a position like that. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Jesus. What a good calling it is. Nobody nobody outside of Jesus has a more glorious calling than this. There's nothing anybody could ever do that could even rival the joy of this calling. And we declare to you this morning that you're worthy. We bow before you this morning because you're worthy. We cannot make vows and promises to you of what we will be unless we made vows and promises that we will be unfaithful and we will fall short and we would fail. That's that's the only thing we're good at. But we can come in faith and say, oh, Jesus, you're the Savior. You're the difference. It's your grace, your power, the presence of your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill my heart, my mind, my life with your power to live the life that's pleasing to you.